0: It's Pastor Rob, great to see you today. Have you ever been in a situation where you know you said something to someone only to find out later that they don't remember hearing it? Maybe maybe it was with one of your kids, right? You've, you know you've told them to take out the trash, only to them later to say, I didn't hear you say that. Maybe it happened at work where you told your boss something only to later have your boss go, I didn't hear you say you were taking the day off tomorrow. Or maybe it happened with your spouse where you said, I know I've told this person I needed them to stop at the store and yet they did not stop at the store. (laughs) I think that is indicative of the subtle difference between hearing and listening hearing is something that can happen even in passing when you hear a car go by right it's it's something that you you happen to notice it's it's coming into your ears no matter what and but listening indicates an intention a purpose a meaning you're you're engaged in the conversation and trying to process it at least a little bit <laughs> And the truth is that that subtle difference between listening and hearing though they are very very similar words has caused its fair share of difficulties in just about every type of relationship. The truth is there are a number of words in our vocabulary that and phrases too that are that are similar in in their base meanings but but they have very different Outcomes are very different meanings when you really dial in to either their actual dictionary meaning or even how you interpret them. Let me give you some examples. The first first one is to compare two words abnormal and extraordinary. If we were to break down those two words, right, abnormal means not normal, (laughs) Um, and extraordinary means extraordinary beyond ordinary or beyond normal or not normal they are they are according to the dictionary synonyms they're very similar words but if you hear the word abnormal in our current the way we look at the world and the way we interpret language it's not always considered to be a good thing an abnormal test result is generally bad right we generally use that term to define something that is just plain not right on the other hand, extraordinary. That's a word that, yes, it means just plain not normal, but but we tend to tie a different meaning to that, meaning that it is something beyond typical, and usually in a very, very good way. Again, two words that are basically similar, if not the same according to the dictionary, but that we would interpret very differently and see very differently if we saw them used in a sentence or heard stated to explain something. What about a phrase? Phrases that are similar, but we kind of intrinsically know they're different, right? If I say, I'm going to be at work today, that, that means I'm gonna show up, right? I'm gonna be on time, I'm not gonna call in sick, I'm not gonna take a vacation day, I'm gonna be there. But if we say, if I say, I'm going to do my work today, that's different, right? That subtle change from be at to do makes all the difference in the world because I think we all know you can be at work without actually doing your work, right? Although, unless you're doing a work from home thing, it's kind of hard to do your work without being at work. One is generally required to do the other, but you can do the be at part without actually doing. You can hear without out actually listening. Another one is 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 the difference between reading and studying, I think. Um, you know oftentimes when, I, when I'm when i talking to some of my kids about whether or not they've, they've learned something or even when we're talking to other believers about whether or not they've, they've learned something about Jesus or they're, they're, they're studying their Bible, I often hear, yeah, I read it. Great, that's awesome. But reading it is not quite the same as studying it. I think we would say you would need to read it in order to study it. But if you stop at reading, then the learning kind of stops too. It lacks the repetition, it lacks the commitment, it lacks the focus, it lacks all of those things to make it part of your memory, to fully understand what it means. I want to throw two words at us today that that are related to our walk as, as followers of Christ. The two words that sound similar and that we use in similar ways are Christian and disciple. Christian and disciple. Those words are often substituted. In fact, if you were to ask most of us who we are, if we identify as a Christian or a disciple, most of us would default to Christian. We default, we identify as Christian. It's like a, a demographic, right? Almost where you, and in fact, uh, theologian Randy Harris calls it that. He calls it a demographic in our world today, where it's kind of, you know, you fill out a checkbox for a survey. Are you white? Are you black? Are you, right? Are you Christian? Are you Muslim? Are you Republican? Are you Democrat? It just fits. It's kind of this demographic statement. But the truth is that in the in the scriptures, they are two different words. Uh, the word Christian shows up three times in the scriptures beginning in Acts chapter 11 in verse 26 it says that at Antioch the disciples were first called Christians the followers of Christ were first called Christians it's a label given to them from not amongst themselves from those outside of the family of God and it's something that Peter warns about in Peter chapter 4 it said if you're suffering because you've been tagged this or given this name as Christian identified as Christian that box has been checked right in your demographic then you know don't be ashamed don't be ashamed of that but the word disciple right means something different i think in fact i know because it shows up not just 3 times but it shows up 269 times in the new testament 238 of those are in the Gospels. It shows up when Jesus is speaking about his people and when the writers of the Gospels are describing the people of Jesus. It's interesting, they never use the word Christian. They use the word disciple. In some cases, they use the word apostle. So at least it seems that the Gospel writers and the writers of the New Testament don't believe they are truly interchangeable terms. According to the definition, a Christian is someone who believes in Christianity, believes in Christ, right? But a disciple, again, a word we don't use often. A disciple is a learner, literally. It's a learner, a student, an apprentice, a practitioner. It's first used by Jesus or about the followers of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, as he begins the Sermon on the Mount, And it says, when he saw the crowds, that's Jesus, he went up on the mountain and after he sat down and his disciples came to him. It's an indication that that though Jesus was around, right? And speaking within earshot of all of these disciples who could hear him, or all of his followers that could hear him, it was the disciples that were the ones that were actively listening, that actually came to him and engaged with him and tried to not just hear what he was saying, but to process what he was saying. It's that subtle difference. And I think that's the disparity here between what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a disciple. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, uses the analogy of a, a house okay so and, and 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 if you would with me pretend that you are the house because he says it this way he says and imagine yourself as a house a living breathing house he says God comes in to rebuild that house and at first you can understand what he's doing right he's getting out his tools he's fixing up the drains he's stopping all the leaks in the roof right? Those are things you understand, those are things we gather, those are things we get and, and that make our life better, that make us as a house more whole, more complete, that fill the gaps and make us not so leaky, right? But presently, according to C.S. Lewis, let me quote him, he says, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably. It does not even seem to make any sense What on earth is he up to? And the explanation is he's building quite a different house from the one that you thought of or that I thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. I think that's the difference between what it means to be a Christian someone who believes in Christ and what it means to be a disciple is understanding that that following God that relationship with Jesus isn't just about patching up our issues it certainly is but that's really just the starting point and it's the place where I think sometimes we stop. We stop at, oh, he's 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 patched up my leaky holes, he's made me my heart whole, and he's made me better, right? I, I I'm I'm not sad anymore, I'm not worried about my my eternity. I'm I'm with him. But God's plan all along in coming to your house or coming to you to, to fix you, is far less about just getting fixed and far more about what he has planned in the future. In fact, he intends to wholesale change who we are. As we have been in our series, Neighborhood Watch, we finish up today, and we've spent most of it talking about the greatest commands. We've talked about love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is just like it, and the one we focused on, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And understanding that 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 needs to happen if we truly understand that the the God has breathed life, a piece of his image into each and every one of us, we call it the Imago Dei, that we learn to see others as God sees them, that we're understanding what he's kind of, what he's calling us to. And we've also looked at some things, fears, prejudices, excuses, things that keep us from recognizing what he's calling us to. But, Today we're gonna to move from understanding the greatest commands and the, the need to loving our neighbor and move towards something that I think is probably the greatest example of what it means to love our neighbor as our selves, to truly move from being Christians, those who believe in who Jesus is, to disciples, those who are coming to him, those who are following him, learning from him, and practicing what he desires them to do. And we're going to, so we're going to move from the Great Commandments to the Great Commission. If you don't know yet what the Great Commission is, it is simply this it is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and to make disciples. That's it, it's to spread the gospel. Let others know the good news of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to make disciples. In fact, it's exactly what he says. You can find this in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. I'm going to put it up on the screen. I'm going to read it out of the Christian Standard Bible. Let's follow along. It It says says this, this. The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, here it comes, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the ends of the age. These are Jesus's Final words or amongst his final words to his followers, to his disciples. And and I want us to understand something, and we talked a little bit about this in the last few weeks, and that's, that's the notion of obedience, of understanding that, that Jesus is going to call us to do things without fully understanding what it is he's calling us to do. Because though you maybe can't do that with a Christian, with someone who just believes in who Jesus is... You should be able to do that with a disciple, someone who is learning from you, someone who is practicing what you're preaching, someone who is really your apprentice and trying to be you if you were here, right? And so we often, though, I think, as followers of Christ, don't treat this as a command or an expectation or something we need to do Do we need to be obedient to the call of we kind of treat it as optional and the thing is for a disciple for someone who's practicing what jesus is preaching it's not it's not and so we're gonna we're gonna go over I think one of the most important ways we can love our neighbor as we love ourselves, if we really believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, if we really believe that Jesus Christ is our Savior, if we really recognize and are grateful for what he's doing for us, and we really believe that the Imago Dei, the image of God, is in every human being on the planet, then why would we not share that gospel? Uh Gillette, who's a famous musician, I've used this before, but uh, he said, he's, a, he's a, an avowed atheist, asks a, a question when someone says, do you get tired of, of Christians trying to um, tell you about Jesus, trying to tell you about the gospel, trying to convince you to give your life to him? And, and, and he said, no. He says, actually, I have to ask myself, if you believe as a Christian that the gospel is that important how much do you have to hate me to not tell me? There's a, a, it is clear that to the Lord, this piece of what it means to follow Him is critical to our understanding of who He is and to living out the commands He has placed on our lives. So, what are the, the three things He covers here when He talks about what it means to spread the gospel? Okay? the Great Commission, spreading the gospel. He talks about going and baptizing and teaching. Those are the three things that we see in verse 19. Go, baptize, and teach. Now, the first one, go, and we're gonna cover all three today. The first one, go, uh, we can kind of try to see as a, a, a command in and of itself. In fact, we treat it as a command, right? Where we go on mission trips to spread the gospel or to do the work of Christ in the world. We go out with other believers to, to tell others about who Jesus is. Maybe we do it with Revive or we do it with uh, something else. Maybe we, we go as a group of people. And we see that as this call to go and do. And the truth is, it is a call to go and do. But it's also much more than that. In fact, here, the command isn't to Go. The word go is in the Greek is is a participle. It's a modifier of the command. It modifies the verb. The command is actually to make disciples. That's the command. The go as a modifier has less uh, a meaning of go out and do and more of a meaning along the lines of while you are going. As you are going through your life day in and day out make disciples it's not an event it's not something that you look on off in history and you're marking it on your calendar saying oh i'm going to do that then this is my time it's 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 not a job it's a disposition it's a way of life it's how you interact with anyone and everyone around you but that's hard and we talked about the reasons why that's hard in previous weeks. It's scary. Uh, we have our own issues to get out of the way of. We're afraid of the consequences. Uh, it's, it's hard to do. And so I think what we do is we end up changing the expectations. We change the expectations of what it means to to share the gospel. Sometimes we we downplay it and we just say, we kind of embrace Saint Francis of Assisi's which by the way he never actually said this it's just attributed to him at times, right? That we are called to share the gospel every day and if by all means use words, <laughs> the idea that it, that we can just act like the people of God that we can show mercy and caring and grace which again are expected as followers of the people of God but without actually mentioning the salvation of Jesus Christ, that we can still somehow get the message across. And the truth is, that's not true. That's not accurate. It requires us to actually say that. But we kind of relegate that. Because it's so hard, we kind of relegate that to people that are quote-unquote gifted to evangelize, gifted to tell others about the gospel. Elton Trueblood, a theologian, has some really neat things to say about that, though. He says, evangelism is not a professional job for a few trained men, but instead the unrelenting responsibility of every person who belongs to the company of Jesus. Each and every one of us that would call ourselves a follower of Christ, an apprentice to Jesus, a a learning from Jesus, a disciple. It's the call upon all of us to tell others about who jesus is who our savior is and so but and I, I really think that that is why jesus says at the very end of this section i will and remember i will be with you to the ends of the age he knows this is hard he knows this is challenging but it's interesting that that comes after he says go and do in fact the meaning here is very much as you are going and doing these things at, while you are going, if you are telling people about me, I will be with you. While you are baptizing, I will be with you. While you are teaching, I will be with you. There's an understanding as Jesus speaking, is speaking to his disciples that while they're doing these things, that is when he will be with them. And that is when it's relevant that all the powers of heaven and earth are, have been given to him, that he has all the authority, right? It says in verse 18, Jesus came near to them and said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He is encouraging them and reminding them that he's calling them to a mission, to a purpose as his people. And he's gonna be right next to them while they're on the mission. It's not about just sitting in his presence and in his blessings and saying, I'm a Christian, I'm saved, I'm good. It's about being on the mission that he has called us to while we are going through the remainder of our lives. For a disciple, we need to understand that the success in sharing the gospel, in the going part, with the while we are going part, is not in saving people. That's Jesus' job. And I think sometimes we set the bar way too high. We say to ourselves, well, I'm going to say something. I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to tell people the story, and nobody's going to listen. And guess what? It doesn't matter, okay? Hearing, making sure they hear the gospel, that's our job as disciples someone listening to the gospel is really between them and Jesus again that subtle difference between those two things our job is to make sure that we know the gospel we know what it's required here right it re- requires repentance it requires to hear believe confess repent right and be baptized it requires all of those things it's 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 to know what it provides and it's it's to know that while we were still sinners jesus came to us and laid down his life for us so that we could be part of his family so that we could be adopted brothers and sisters and so we could reside with him in the kingdom of heaven forever and have the presence of the holy spirit upon us right here right now we also have to know our story and know how we fit into that gospel what it's meant to us that part where he's patching us up and making us whole again. But we also have to be willing to do it often. Nothing we do once or twice a year, once or twice a millennia, or once or twice in our life, that's a long time, in our lifetime, are we ever going to be good at. We're only going to be good at things we are willing to practice over and over and over again. That's again the difference between reading and studying. We also have to be willing to practice with others and recognize that we do need that practice to get better. And we better also do so sharing the gospel, knowing and expecting rejection. Because the truth is that Jesus was rejected. And it's it's naive for us to think we wouldn't be too. He was okay with it if we are his disciples following his lead, we should be too. The second thing he says to do when when it comes to spreading the gospel is to baptize. We love this one, right? We love this one because we can easily zero in on it. It's a moment in time. It's relational. It's physical, tangible. It is affirming to watch someone be baptized but the, the truth is that act of baptism is an act of submission It is an act of sacrifice and the truth is also if you look at the phrasing here we are called to be a part of that process we are called to walk with them to study with them to rejoice with them and it, it's far more than just a moment in time where we go okay check box right? A demographic. Has, has he been saved? Yes. Has he been baptized? Yes. And we have a tendency to treat it that way. But this is actually an affirming commitment that helps draw others into the family of God as we are disciples walking together, doing the things of God together, submitting to him together, obeying him together. Yes, it is a symbol. And yes, it has a lot of value as a symbol. But that symbol should also have value to us as co-workers in Christ, people walking alongside you. That you, It should symbolize that you are ready to make your next step. And it should also trigger me as a disciple to say, I'm ready to help you make your next steps. I'm ready to hear to help you grow in faith. And finally, he says, teaching. Teach them all the things that I have commanded you. And this is this is one that is um, near and dear to my heart. I love to teach, um, but I think one that over the years we have misunderstood. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm doing right now that if you've still lasted this long and haven't nixed me yet is is I'm preaching. I, I, I'm I'm exposing, expositing the Word of God. And, and based on what I've studied or what I've learned this week or the things that I've, I've challenged myself to. And I hope that the Holy Spirit has opened my eyes to this week. And I think preaching has value, probably partially because I'm a preacher, so I'm biased, but, but also because that is one of the ways that Jesus communicated. But the thing is, it was one of the ways that Jesus communicated. Preaching in and of itself is not enough to truly learn what it means to follow God. Um, Avery Willis, the founder of a group called Master Life, um, and a, a disciple maker, someone who puts his life into helping others follow Jesus deeply, fully, and completely, said this about preaching, and I think it's hilarious. It says, preaching to make disciples, right? Preaching communicates information, but preaching to make disciples. To teach them everything that Jesus has commanded them, right? Preaching to make disciples is like going to the nursery, and spraying the crying babies with milk and saying that you fed them. Right? It sounds cold, but but it it kind of is. Just speaking as a preacher, it kind of is. I do. I stand up on Sundays and I and I and I expose the word of God. I tell people what I believe it's saying, and I dig try to dig deeply, and I try to touch chords. But the truth is. Changed hearts don't happen on Sunday mornings for the most part. It can be one of those baptism-type moments. It's a moment in time where if if the Spirit of God was already working, it can trigger something. Or it can trigger something that the Spirit of God will grab and, if you're willing to lean into, will take you on a journey with. It It is not truly feeding our souls and our hearts and our minds as disciples. And why does this matter? Because I think as disciples, we kind of have seen our responsibility to teach transform into a responsibility to have others show up at church and listen to Rob teach or listen to a preacher teach, whoever your preacher is. And the truth is, that's not the case. That is just a small piece, again, of how Jesus led the disciples. In fact, most of the time he was preaching when he was preaching to large crowds the Sermon on the Mount we just talked about, those were the moments where he was casting a wide net. And that's why he repeatedly says, let those who have ears, let them hear, right? Or let them listen. He's throwing it out there and saying, if your heart is open today, then listen to the words I'm saying. But he would pull aside his disciples separately and spend time studying with them walking with them teaching with them he would send them out to take on assignments and and go spread the gospel to themselves and then debrief them right bring them back in and say okay what you see what you hear what you experience the truth is that none of us are jesus we are all as one man said we are all beggars trying to fi- tell another beggar where to find bread we are all searching for jesus together and and the truth is he created church he created the community of believers so that we would help each other walk together that we would help each other take on assignments that we would ask each other questions and debrief each other and help mold each other and sharpen each other that we would teach each other and teach those we come in contact with what it means to constantly follow Jesus Christ. But the thing is, that starts with my willingness to be a disciple rather than a Christian. That starts with your willingness to be a disciple rather than a Christian, because as A.W. Tozer says, only a disciple can make a disciple. It is my hope and my prayer that we will all embrace what it means to be followers of Jesus fully and completely, that we will embrace an opportunity to participate in his mission, that we will embrace an opportunity to spread the gospel, to spread the good news, to go as we are going through our day, to help others come into the family of God, not, not just to see them baptized, but to walk with them as they are baptized, and to rejoice with them as they are baptized, and to teach them all that we know. That is our call as his people, and that is our honor as his people. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and give you peace. God bless.